up, everyone? Welcome to episode five of Beyond the Court, the podcast that talks all things basketball with the association. We're so happy that you guys are here joining us today. I'm Agent P, also known as Pan, and we got a full squad in the building. So special welcome to Amir, Andy, John, Nabil, Daryl, and Anwar. Welcome, guys. So yeah, guys, um, you know, we've now concluded... Uh, Episodes 9 and 10 of The Last Dance, concluding the journey, which essentially became the MJ documentary and highlighting the, uh, the Bulls run. Um, so we're going to recap that today. So let's get it kicked off right away. Uh, John, right at the beginning of um, episode 9, we see the introduction of Reggie Miller, obviously a key centerpiece of the Indiana Pacers. And we see that Eastern Conference Finals set up in 1998 between the Bulls and the Pacers. So what were your thoughts, man, just in terms of how that um, those two teams were going at it and just how it was presented between Reggie and MJ? I think it was, uh, you know, Reg- Reggie, you could tell right off, right off the bat, he was excited. He thought he was going to put MJ into retirement. This was his time. He thought he had the players with him to make that happen. Um, it was a perfect setup because you had Larry Bird as well as the coach. So instead of, you know, one of the all-time greatest, instead of him playing Michael one-on-one or on the, you have him setting things up uh, strategy-wise. And on the opposite side, you know, you got Reggie, you got Jackson, you got Antonio Davis. You had a, a good squad, a very solid squad that they're going up against. And Reggie had expressed his confidence. He knew that, you know, they – they were going to push them to the limits. And, of course, we, we got a treat here. We had a seven-game series, um, which, I, I mean, looking back, you, you think you're going to have a good, good challenge, but I didn't think it was going to be as close as it, as it ended up being, of course. Um, Reggie came through with his uh, three-point-making shots. Some of his games, he was shooting about 60% or so. Um, and this was, to me, if, I, if I'm looking at the series that they had for challenges, you're going to have to put Detroit up there. And you're going to have to put this Pacers series up there. Those are the two mm-hmm. really pushed them to the limit. Utah did push them as well somewhat, but those two, I think, were the hardest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, well thought out. And Reggie, you know, yeah, he, for all his shot-making ability and everything that he could make do at the final seconds of each game, it still just goes to show it still wasn't enough to, to overtake Michael. Just he always had that power to, to make it happen. Mm. Yeah, so I, I think the – my takeaway from that uh, that whole series was the fact that they had no fear going against the Bulls, uh, specifically going against, as Reggie says, Black Jesus, right? So they had no fear. It wasn't they were intimidated by this. They actually they wanted to play them just because they felt that they were the better team overall. So you know, seeing that going to a seven game series with just a few shots to actually win that series, um, that kind of flipped the whole uh, game to the Bulls side. Uh, it was a close game, so close series, I should say. But either way, I just love the mindset of Reggie Miller going in there. I have no fear of Black Jesus. We had the better team. We wanted to win. We could have won. Um, like you said, it was a simple shot, a few shots that took the game away from them. So, and uh, all the in the whole series so far, I just felt like Reggie and maybe Isaiah Thomas as well kind of expressed they had no fear of Jordan going into a game. So, good to see that from him. Yeah, man. Um, first of all, like Reggie's a bad boy, man. Yeah. Like, whew, assassin, right? Um, and we saw that, and the whole, the whole thing about uh, being fearless. Um, 
not just uh, when it comes to skills, I think aggression and his physicality, he choked Michael Jordan and received a punch on the face from Michael Jordan. <laughs> like, who else? Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, it, it, it got that. It. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he handled. He took it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, right? And, like, he did not back down. And, and that whole kind of sequence was brewing all the way from, like, the defensive end all the way to the offensive end the whole the whole time, right? And, like, it just goes to show you that we see Michael Jordan's competitiveness, and, you know, that's obviously on display. Um, but I think this documentary is doing a great job of highlighting um, all these other kind of stars that – we know their stars, but like it really kind of gives us an insight into their mentality and their drive to win as well, right? And like my takeaway from that series was, yeah, the Bulls won, but arguably one of the hardest series um, that, that that they have to overcome. And you know, just that shot where like they ran the play, he pushed Michael Jordan off, right? Like I don't care if you're injured. Lightly, like light, lightly, right? <laughs> to the point where he almost fell. <laughs> In this um, in this thing is that would have been an offensive foul. Dude, that would have been flagrant, like, yo, flagrant stop two. the game, right? <laughs> um, MJ would have had to sell it more, bro. He would have yeah. had to flop. Like. Absolutely, right? Uh, so just that whole, like, push-off, and it, it was just, like, poetry in motion, right? You watch him all the way from under the net. He curls around, gives him the push, catch and shoot, right? Like, I think all of us who are shooters can appreciate that, like, just catch, turn, shoot, right? And there you have it. So, like, and then his excitement after, right? So authentic so raw just like jumping around on a bad ankle i think he had a bad ankle or something um he's just like jumping around spinning right um but from that whole series the the one the one moment was after he hit that shot the camera pans over to bird and just like no emotion right the man knows there's like mere seconds left or 1.8 or something. Just looked up. Yeah, the yeah. It's like it's he not knew, over. It's he not knew, over. He knew who's on the other team, <laughs> right? That was a, that was close. That was close. That it was almost close, went bro. in. Super close. Yeah, and then the, the next play, boom! Michael gets the ball and shot double clutch, right? Like everybody just stopped breathing, right? And in and out, like <laughs> amazing, man. Just that whole like that whole series was packed with these kind of small moments, right? Oh arguably one of the like best series by far like throughout the whole documentary and i'll argue like um in like nba history yeah i, I um i agree man i think for me it was definitely one of the the more competitive matchups um you know reggie like you guys have said it reggie miller was a hell of a competitor had no fear 170 pounds maybe sm- uh, soaking wet um you know he's he's looking at like Andy said, black Jesus in the eye, you know, <laughs> taking a punch, right? Like, and then, Who you know. Who calls himself that, Like, like Reggie said, Reggie said, right? He's like, after, you know, all that, like, he never called him Michael anymore, right? It was either black Jesus or I forget what the other name was. Um, black cat. Yeah, but, black, black cat. cat. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, like that, that Pacers team too, right? Like, going back, that was a stacked team, right? Yeah, like, they had the Davis brothers. Mark Jackson, um, you know, and then Miller, of course, right? And uh, I think before Steph came along, like, I would say Reggie was probably the greatest shooter of all time in my book. Yeah. Right? Over it, reality? Also, um, I would put him, yeah, like, he was up there, man. Like, those yeah, clutch movies sure. against New York, like, all, all you got to remember, right? Like, yeah. this is going back, but, yeah. um, you know, and you hear Mike, too, right? Like, he gives, gives uh, the, the Pacers their props, too, right? He's, like, saying, you know, arguably – between Detroit, 
other than Detroit, um, the pace was probably gave him the hardest time, right? So that's like just like a ultimate sign of respect for Memphis. Yeah. I think when it came to like clutch shooting, um, you know, before Curry, I think Miller takes the cake over Allen. That's me personally. Um, but just watching that part in the in the episode, like you felt like Reggie Miller deep down felt like they could beat the Bulls. Everyone's already said this, but that team was stacked. Rick Smith, the Davis brothers, Chris Mullen, Mark Jackson, Reggie Miller, Jalen Rose, Larry Bird as your coach. Like that team was stacked to win. Um, you know, and obviously the moments, the, the fearless, the competitiveness. Um, but I just think like, you know, I, I actually forgot how great of a series that actually was and that it actually went to a game seven. It honestly made me go back and, you know, watch videos of how good that series was just to see that, you know, the, the, the competitiveness, the toughness that a team, you know, before it was the Pistons and now the, the Pacers gave them that, that, you know, that edge. Um, so just to get that out of that part, like Miller just competitive when I argue the greatest shooters of all time. And I think deep down he, they felt like they could win that series um, but unfortunately, it didn't go their way that year. Yeah. Yeah, a couple unlucky bounces and a couple lucky bounces, and it could have been different. But yeah, it was, uh, I, I think you guys said it with the, the team was stacked because honestly, Reggie didn't even shoot that well throughout the course of the series. I think he shot like under 30% or th- around 30% for like a, most of the games. And the one game he shot like 15%. So like, but it shows his confidence because he's still taking his those game-winning shots and hitting them. But, but yeah, like the the team was able to pick up the slack even when he's not uh even when he's not playing like amazing. And then uh I think in the documentary though, like after they lost the first game and then they are interviewing Jordan. Uh, after that, the Bulls just suffered their first loss. You could just see how angry he was in his face. He was just just to lose the one game, and he was like, "Yeah, some, whatever, man. Let's just <laughs> let's just get this interview over with, and uh, I'm gonna go smash him off next game." But I, I didn't even I forgot that they were up 2-0. Like I had forgot that part. But I like the part where um, Reggie Miller came into the tunnel and Jordan was just sitting mm. in his suit, and they just kind of shared that moment where it's like Jordan said, it, "You knew it was gonna be a battle." Yeah. I like that. It just showed a, a proper respect. They knew what was coming. So, yeah, you guys touched on it, man. Like, I have full respect for Reggie. I think Reggie Miller is one of my favorite players. You know, in terms of just that run, that series was amazing. Like seven games, hard fought, and you can tell the intensity watching it at that time. But even now, MJ's kind of playback of it and giving credit to the Pacers to say like, hey, this was our toughest challenge to get back to a championship in the finals and to get to the finals, first of all, like, like he, he said it as well. I mean, like, aside from you guys talked about, like getting to through the Detroits, getting through like the physicality of the Knicks and now coming back with this stacked Pacers team. Uh, you guys ran off all the names on that team, plus being coached by a hall of famer as well. But shout out to Reggie, man, clutch. I mean, watching NBA on NBC back then and, they even had like a dedicated little montage for him to say it's Miller time. And then like, you know, <laughs> it, it would just go off, right? In terms of just saying like the key clutch moments, because this is the same guy who would drop, what do you do to the Knicks? Like eight points in nine seconds, right? And just, uh, you know, Spike Lee basically had like a heart attack on the side, like watching yeah. that play out in front of him. So oh, like, like kudos to the, uh, to the Pacers, oh. man. Yeah, the, the choke sign, right? So kudos to the Pacers, man. They were... They gave a solid fight. The thing that really stood out for me, though, man, like even game seven, they had their shot. They were leading. 
And it is mm. that pivotal jump ball where it's um, Smith's jumping off, I believe, against, against Longley. And then yeah. it's somehow, like, if they get that ball back, they're yeah. up three already. There's about, like, less than five minutes left. They get the ball back, say they score, they go up by five. And in a back-and-forth, like, physical game like that, who knows, maybe they take out the Bulls. But the way that it worked out, the ball gets batted around, Pippen gets a hold of it, swings it across the court, Steve Kerr wide open, boom. You know, hits that game-tying three, and that was the momentum yeah. killer, The essentially mm-hmm. the back-breaking three. And then the Bulls went on a run, and the Pacers never could recover. So, man, like, shout-out to um, – I love how they've been, the, like, the last couple of episodes, you see formidable, really strong opponents start to come to the forefront. And that kind of segues into who the Bulls end up playing, you know, in 97 and 98 in the finals, the Utah Jazz. Like, you know, it's a testament to the Bulls making, you know – back-to-back-to-back finals. But how about, like, coming out of a loaded West in terms of the Utah Jazz and the competition they had to play, you know, getting through, like, the Sonics, you know, a loaded Rockets team, right? And, and like, different squads, even though they were they might have been aging, but it was a battle out in the West, too. So Malone and Stockton, man, like, they come to the forefront now. It was great to see Stockton get shown on the page. So what do you guys think about the introduction of the Jazz? You know, essentially, like, pick-and-roll city, but... You know, what do you guys think of their presentation? Yeah, I think that was, like like you said, it was a loaded series, right? You got Stockton and, and Malone, two uh, Hall of Famers. Um, and, you know, they're, they're so good for so long doing the same thing, right? Pick and roll, pick and roll, just running that down your throats, right? And, um, and then there's Byron, or per Jordan, Brian Russell, right, who just did not know when to, uh, to keep his mouth shut. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and on top of, uh, you know, Russell, uh, you know, talking shit and adding uh, wood to the fire, so MJ called it, right? Uh, you got Malone winning that, that regular season MVP. And, uh, you know, now he's got two things to motivate him, right? Going into that, that series in 97, 98. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you hear Jordan say that, you know, he was out to prove, right, that he was the actual MVP. And, and I think, you know, you almost got no shot at that point, right? If anything we've learned anything from this documentary is when Mike sets his mind to something, you know, he's coming, right? He's going to usually achieve his goal. Um, but, you know, with, with Stockton and Malone, um, you know, they're, they're just two other hall of famers who were caught in Mike's crosshairs. Right. And unfortunately no rings, you know, yeah, it's a travesty. And like Stockton is definitely one of my favorite point guards. I, it, probably one of the greatest. If he sees top three point guard, top three, top four of all time, and he just got he just got robbed. I I know Kyle Malone gets all the credit because he scores all the points, uh, but I don't think he scores those points without Stockton just perfectly setting the table every single time. Perfect, he, like Stockton reads a play perfect every time. If he gets doubled, Kyle Malone's open all day, pick and roll. He shoots forty percent from three. He's deadly from the mid range, and he's clutch because that last like he's clutch. That last shot where he missed and he just uh, he just, he just tipped barely. off the three like just barely man yeah. just barely you saw it in his face like you saw it man I, you feel, I really feel for him out of everybody I just feel for him because it, it was just sad man it was just sad you know and the fact that they had two tries at it right mm-hmm. like the yeah. first year maybe you're not as experienced going yeah. into the finals you know mind you Hornacek Stockton Malone were in the league for like 14 years at that point but you know and then. So that's the first year, but then coming back again, 
you know, and they said, I guess they picked up some pieces. So they were even better in the 98 finals. And they also had home court advantage because they were best, I guess they were the best team in the league at that yeah. point. So, you know, you had all the cards going for the jazz, you know what I mean? And then fast forwarding what game six, uh, Pippin's back injury. Was that the, was that the food poisoning? Does it- Food poisoning game. Yeah, that's 97. Food you know poisoning what I mean? game was in the 97. Is yeah. it 97? Yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. kind of fast forwarding. But it's like you had all these, you know, issues along the way that they, they, there was openings where the yeah. Jazz could have, yeah. you know, done something. Um, but unfortunately, like you said, man, I, I personally believe John Stockton mm-hmm. as a true point guard, for me, probably the second best after Magic Johnson in my eyes. Um, and Malone, I, I would probably see a top five power forward. But just again, yeah. add add them to the kill list of Jordan, who he went through and didn't let, you know, get that ring because he was just hungry to keep adding more to his fingers. No, agreed. Just for that that '97 series, though, just what Nabil just touched on there is the food poison game five of that '97 series. Just the commitment of Michael Jordan not to lay down and sit out that game. Right? Imagine. A person that's so sick, you know, you've been throwing up all day, you can't keep anything down, you know, there's nothing that can help you, but you still want to go into the game and win. And I believe he dropped something like 44 points. 45, 45, 45, right? Stick stick to your stomach and have to be uh, carried off the court. It's insane. And I just feel like that game displays that, that mindset of how much commitment you have to put in or the love of competition or the love of winning to well, actually sacrifice everything yeah. to get there, right? Yeah, so he's that moment. sick and he still plays. He doesn't want to lose a single game. He'd rather die <laughs> than give up that game. <laughs> yeah. So I give him respect for that and the numbers he put up in that game. I, I like how somebody said, I, I forgot who said it, but he, they, they, he flipped the switch and uh, became Terminator. I think P- uh, Scotty Pippen said it. <laughs> yeah. Became yeah. Termina- uh, Terminator. And one of the best lines that Scotty Pippen also said was, no matter how sick he was, he was still the best player in the world. That line alone speaks volume to me. Like he was sick, you know, impaired, but he's still the best player in the world. So to me, that series spoke volumes to his competitive nature throughout the whole series. Definitely, man. Like you can't deny uh, Utah's, um, you know, team and how they were coached and all that. But we circle back to the same thing, right? MJ. Um, and the following year, Scotty is like back as bus, right? And then same thing, the, the switch goes on, right? He's like, I have a teammate who I rely on who's down and out, um, but kill switch, right? Like, this is it. This is my chance, right? And just, again, taking that game onto his shoulders, knowing that his um, supporting cast is, is not fully there, um, just rallying his team to just just squeeze it through, right? Like, just get it. And in the end, you know, it just it just shows you a testament to my. It's a testament to Michael Jordan, man. The un, undying urge and and power and, and sorry, willpower to just win, right? Uh, at any cost. So that was fully on display during those two years, like '97-'98. Yeah, Jerry Sloan also. You touched on him. He gets overlooked as well. Like he gets mm. buried in that. But I think he's a – I'm not sure. I think he's the most winningest coach without winning the championship. Without a championship, I believe so. Because I know that John Stockton was that as well. He had played the most playoff games without winning winning a ring. And then just to take it back a little bit further, imagine that John Stockton had missed that shot in uh, the previous round against Houston. 
and Houston, and Houston had come back and won, we would answer that age-old question, man. That that, oh. that question of of would Michael have been able, like you know, and <laughs> that that would have been something to see. I think everybody would have loved to see that too. Definitely. Both rockets, yeah, yeah. Um, just yeah. Two, two questions, like if I can throw it out to you guys. You guys, whoever wants to take it with you, just curious on your take on it. One thing I don't understand is for the pizza, for example, right? The pizza delivery. When that happened, and they had said there was five guys delivering it, would anyone take a chance on pizza? There's five guys at your front door trying to view the pizza. Wouldn't you be curious? And then don't they have it? Why didn't they have a chef or someone to make like them food? That is going to puzzle me forever when I heard five guys at the door or something. Even though they said it was probably Michael. And All the I have to say, the man was hungry. He was, <laughs> yeah, he, he devoured it. If, if MJ says he wants pizza, you get the man pizza. It doesn't matter what time of the night. You don't stand in front you of him and his food, bro. <laughs> But knowing MJ, so. who knows if that story is even true? Well, even like answering that, John, like the the guy who made the pizza um, came out as, and he's commented on it now. And he said, I made the pizza before. And like, you know, I came to is deliver it. There wasn't, there wasn't five guys. It was just me and another guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? As soon as he said that, I'm like, oh. it sounds like bullshit. So like, I, like, <laughs> like, I mean, for presentation purposes, in terms of yeah. a documentary, like for yeah, years, what, what have we been told? We've been told it's a flu game, mm -hmm. right? And then, you know, there's rumblings about and rumors about this food poisoning that could have happened. At the end of the day, he was sick. He was mm. sick. He was not at 100% and he was able to still perform at that level. But you're right. I mean, if five guys came to drop off a pizza, <laughs> they're trying to get a glimpse of the goat. And, and apparently he's a, he, he's a Bulls fan, the, the guy who made the pizza. He wanted to say hi to Michael. So I don't think he's trying to poison yeah. Michael right, Jordan, right, right. Right, right? So, like, there's like, – you're right. Like, how much truth versus, like, you know, how much, is, how much of it is fabricated or to sell a story. Yeah. But um, either way, it doesn't what, – what do we witness on the court? Like, right. 38 points in 44 minutes. Essentially, he came into that game just to be a decoy. Mm -hmm. But he ended up being the main focal point. Because he, he essentially had to pick up the slack for everyone else who just didn't have it. And he sensed that it was such a pivotal game. They need to win that game to get to that championship. 100%. Well, and, fa and fast forwarding. Sorry, go ahead, D. No, I was just going to say, man, like we're talking about, you know, the, the Bulls Jazz series. But no, none of us have touched on that, like, iconic shot, though, man. Like, uh, the pull-up, hold it out there. Oh, right? the, the like, possible oh, yeah. final shot. Oh, yeah. You know, like, that's a Cinderella ending for me, right? Like, you know, you're the best in the league. Hold it out. Clutch. You know, no time on the clock. Or a couple seconds, right? But at that point, you knew it was over, right? And I think that was, like, the ultimate way to end, end the career. Unfortunately, he came back in Washington. But we're not going to talk about that, right? Like, for me, the MJ I'm going to remember <laughs> is the MJ in Utah, right? In that shot. Hey, don't hate on the Washington years. That was a, that was a business yeah. decision, man. He had to come yeah. back for, for, for so some tickets, man. 40 years, drafting 50, you had to respect Yeah, no, 100%. Sure. But I'm, I'm going to say two things about that 98 series. About, about you got to give cahoots to Pippen for trying to come and play as a decoy. Yes. You know, a guy who suffers from back pain. Like, it's not easy. Like, when he was wincing, I felt it. But he still was giving you a little jump hook in the lane. Yeah. He was still doing what he could. So that's one. And number two, just Jordan's IQ. Going back to what D said just before that last shot. Like he knew the whole time it was going to go to Malone and Malone would never check the weak side. And for him to stay there and linger and get that steal, that just shows you like his in-game knowledge, kind of reading the players, how he understood the game. Um, and, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, and then when he stole that and with that, you know, that beautiful swish on the other, on the other end, 
Um, couldn't have ended it off any other way. Now we know it's not a push off. Like yeah. that slow mo no, angle. I was waiting like, for it. <laughs> you know, so many people are ready to call it a. Oh yeah, uh, MJ sent him off. No, like uh, Brian Russell. He's at the balls of his feet, man. Like, like he's right exactly. there. He's on his toes. Like, you're a defender. You start sliding like that. Bye. Like, you're gone. Yeah. Like, like, his momentum's already out. shifting. His yeah. momentum's yeah. gone. He might as yeah. well take a seat on the bench next to Jerry Sloan at the rate he was going. And then MJ just held the pose on him. So, like, I love the fact that they actually even slowed down the angle. So, even for the young bucks that are watching now as well, if you don't know, now you know that it wasn't a push-off. It was legit. Held mm-hmm. the follow-through. And it was perfect. But, like, to Dee's point as well, man, just poetic justice and even what i thought what i thought was so interesting was when mj when he early in his career he had to carry the team and he had nobody and then pippen started to get developed and then phil jackson basically you know instilled the triangle offense and and it was kind of like equal opportunity so mj had a little more help it's crazy how leading up to like that last shot it was essentially michael on his own again dropping all the points pippen laboring with a with a broken back trying to play through going to the change room every five minutes they probably get you know treatment and little icy hot yeah little icy <laughs> hot if that existed or tiger bomb or whatever it is man <laughs> you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever helps his back but um it was just a such a an awesome ending against a, a strong opponent and Nabil touched on it too the iq you know it's going to malone he's coming in for the swipe he's taking the steal and then MJ just knows who's guarding him. Like, you yeah, might man. want to send help. <laughs> like, Brian Russell, you're on an island, man. Like, That's right. Yeah. And that was it, bro. Yeah, I was wondering why they didn't double. Get the ball <laughs> out. But, like, even to bring it back to the flu game for a second, like, I always wondered how he was only sick for the one game. Because I've had the flu before. And it's not like a one-night thing, bro. Like, it's like a two weeks that you're out. <laughs> but I guess but he was saying it was food though. poisoning. It, was, it wasn't a flu, though. It was food poisoning, right? It was food, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just saying I always wondered that. I'm like, we've all had the flu before. And it's not like a one-day thing and you're back <laughs> yeah. to like, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, just, it, just, it just took 22 years for us to actually really understand that it's not flu. It's the food poisoning, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it was... Um, it was just a fitting end and just to take out the jazz. I, I, I found it crazy though. <laughs> like we talked about Jerry Sloan, but the way they even presented Jerry Sloan, it like just it's like some idiot, of his posts. Bro. Yeah. Like he, like he was just kind of like the most lost person ever. And I think that was the documentary, the way they presented it. Just like, it's like, Oh, that one game where they lost by like 42 points. He's like, Oh, did we really lose by that much? He's like, <laughs> and then it's just like, Oh, after the food poisoning game, Oh, was he actually sick? Like, yeah. is there something that I didn't know? And I'm like, come on, man. Like, like, come on, you can't do uh, Jerry Sloan dirty. You think like that, that was like a, you think that was like a, a pop kind of humor? I'm so I, 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 I probably like a sly dry humor. So. Yeah, I, I said so. it from get go. Like just seeing Jerry, remembering Jerry Sloan how he was, he reminds me how pop is current day. Like, oh yeah, that sure. attitude, that yeah. sarcasm yeah, all the time. So it's just funny seeing those answers that he was giving was just hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, I think. What was interesting, though, like, you know, they were going back and forth, segueing between the Bulls run, you know, winning the championship now and then even holding the pose, like D said, in terms of just the kind of final, you know, shot that you see of, of, of Michael Jordan holding the pose and saying, like, hey, this is this is the champion. This is number six. Um, I found it interesting how the documentary also, like, segued into, like, you know, shout out to the role players because we really started to dig into, you know, Steve Kerr. And I, I didn't think that they would go into uh, a history regarding Steve Kerr in terms of that type of backstory. And I never knew 
um, that type of detail regarding Steve Kerr and what they touched on with respect to his family, his upbringing, and um, even his father. So what did you guys think about um, how Steve Kerr was presented and just like, you know, just in terms of like the role player and like that he became such a pivotal role player in that, you know, second three-peat? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's like with Steve Kerr, if you look at him now, a lot of things make sense, right? The way he operates now. Obviously, being on a team with Michael Jordan will do something to you, right? Um, but then learning about his family, right, just a bit. Like, he, in my eyes right now, is, like, one of the most, like, intellectual people in the NBA, um, along with Pop and, you know, these kind of people. But now it all makes sense. Like, if you look at his parents, uh, I believe one was a teacher. They both um, were professors, actually. Both were professors. Both yeah, sorry, like, not even teachers, like, professors, Right. To the point where the like his father like you know after doing his whatever he did here um, got deployed to the Middle East like I didn't I didn't even I couldn't even fathom that right like um, going down there and, and and doing his thing and, and and just that happening right like the fact that he comes from a family with such deep um, um, like education uh, you know. Uh, just knowledge, they seem very knowledgeable. So when something drastic like that does happen, normally those those types of people are able to handle those situations better, right? Um, and, and you saw that in Steve too, right? Like um, obviously he teared up, anyone will tear up when you bring up emotions, oh, sorry, when you bring up uh, the, the loss of a parent. Um, but at the same time, like there was this like composure to him that you could see right away, right? So that was the biggest thing for me. Like I, I knew he's, his IQ when it comes to basketball is top notch, but now you see why it is, why he is the way he is, right? Amazing upbringing uh, from an from a educational kind of standpoint. Um, and then playing with Michael Jordan, being coached by Phil Jackson, having amazing teammates uh, that he's had, his success that he's had um, after playing and, and with the Warriors right now, it's like, it's a buildup of all this, right? So you, in a way, he has the same kind of, maybe not to the, to the extent, but he's in the same category to me as MJ when it comes to that drive, right? He has it too, and he still has it. So, and, and he demands it from his team now. So it was, it was interesting to see that part, which obviously, I don't know in this group if anybody knew, I had no idea of, right? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, I think that was like probably, the, the, probably one of the biggest uh, surprises for me. Uh, in this documentary, right? Like, like you said, right? Like, came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had no idea he went through what he did. And, um, you know, like you said, I want it's like, you know, no one wants to lose a parent, right? Let alone in the way that he did, right? But I, but I almost feel that that, you know, it drove him to work harder mm-hmm. at ball, right? Like they said, he just buried himself and, you know, basketball after that, right? It was his outlet. And, and, I, and I almost feel like, it, between him and MJ, like they had, it was like a, it, it was almost like a common ground, right? Where they could relate to each other. They, they both lost a parent, a parent who was, you know, taken away from them through murder, not even naturally, right? Like, it, it, so, you know, between MJ and, and Kerr, I think that was like almost like a common ground. Yeah, they went at each other in practices and whatnot, but you know, it, their relationship was probably deeper than we all thought. I, I got from the series that it was it's the un, that Kerr understood his role when he came into the NBA. Like he understood that, hey, I'm not going to be the superstar of a team, 
I have to understand that I'm a role player and he worked on being a role player. You know, when he got, when he, when he got drafted by the bulls or got to the bulls, you know, he mimicked his game after Paxton. Right. So, and then Paxton took him under the wings to kind of help him through him and guide him to become this role player. Now that Jordan respects and put him in the documentary, it gives him that little piece. Right. So I like the fact that when he came in, he, he put his head down, he just worked. And he worked on the craft that he knew he wasn't going to be the next MJ or the next Reggie Miller, just popping up shots. And, and he said in the doc, he said it in the documentary, he gets probably five shots a game and he's just hoping to make them the best as possible. He's not going to get the 20 shots. So that's the level of commitment from him, just working on his craft to help support Michael Jordan in his, in his, uh, his, his road to the championship. Right. So I like that he had that mindset. And even today with the Warriors, he tells his guys constantly, be prepared. You know, that he always tells them that because you never know when your, your card will be called. So I, I think in that Warriors organization, why they were so successful was he always prepared them. Regardless of your role, you just work just as hard as everybody else, right? So I'll always like Kerr for that reason. Yeah, it's a tough thing to to accept that role, right? Because I'm I'm sure if you make the NBA, nobody makes the NBA going to being like I'm making the NBA to try and be John Paxton. Like, no, you're you're trying to be everybody's yeah. trying to be Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Like everybody's trying. So it's, it's it's a tough thing to accept that. I guess a certain level of uh, self recognition. So it's pretty impressive. And when they and when you do have people that do that, you end up with great teams. Right, like that. That that to me is 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 the indicator of a great team is when everybody knows their role, and they and, and they execute it to their best abilities. Uh, personally though, like I wish, like I I appreciate all the the Steve Kerr stuff, but at the same time, like I had, I I wish like they had shown a little bit more spotlight on some of the other teams, like even even the Pacers. Like I, they 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 did the decent job with the Pacers, but I feel like they didn't do justice to the Jazz because I'm like you're talking all time great teams, and I just wish they had shown a little bit more of how how good they were because I know the older heads they know, but for the younger kids, like they're not gonna really know or get in depth of like how good John Stockton was or how good that Jazz team actually was and and the, and the grind that they had to go through to get to the finals, like like we we touched on already like going through all those things but. But I did, I did appreciate, like, his backstory and stuff like that. It's just I wish I had seen a little bit more Yeah, from the competition, like, highlight the competition and how good they actually were. I mean, they paid homage to him, Kerr, I think, also because in that, what, 97 finals, you know, when Jordan got double teamed. So, like, he was ready yeah. for that shot. Mm-hmm. And just to see that, the humor in Kerr in that, in the, when they showed the parade and he was talking <laughs> and just, just what he said about, you know, I'll build, I'll build Jordan now. So just to show you, like, he does have humility and humor from where he came from. But rewinding, you know, he was, in, he was a second round, number 50th pick. You know what I mean? So I think you come into the league thinking, like, you know what, I'm just going to try – to improve whatever I, I'm good at. And he was an amazing shooter. Uh, definitely one of the one of the top, you know, role player shooting wise. Um, but, you know, with Steve, I look at it, I look at it like dreams can come true. Like he wasn't scouted by, a, you know, a, a tier one college. Fine, he went to Arizona last minute, drafted in the second round. But fa- fast forwarding to today, he's a five-time NBA champion, three-time champion as a head coach. Like you wouldn't think that some kid who was actually born in Lebanon you know, raised in California, you know, coming in the second round would have a, a resume like that, you know, mind you playing with Jordan Pippen, 
Duncan, Robinson, and, you know, having players under you like Curry, Clay, um, you know, it does help. But at the same time, you know, it shows like his work ethic and, you know, he understood his role um, right from the beginning um, to where he is today. Yeah, I think um, you guys touched on it. For me, uh, it's, it's you, you can see like if someone comes to the NBA, they think that, you know, if they don't have a good sense of self-awareness, they think that they're going to be the next star. And for Steve Kerr, like being that, you know, low of a pick and just knowing that like, hey, I only got one crack at it. Only Arizona gave me a shot, you know, in college and I'm being drafted. And like, I got to carve out my role here or else I won't be in the NBA for too long. So he was essentially watching tape of, like Andy mentioned, like John Paxson to kind of be like, I got to be in a situation like that where I can hit key shots and be in a proper system. And lo and behold, he had a chance to be under the tutelage of a Phil Jackson, be with, you know, greatness in Michael Jordan and have like solid teammates like Michael Jordan, Pippen, playing alongside a Tim Duncan getting coached by Greg Popovich, right? And now, like, Nabil just listed off his resume, an eight-time champion in terms of player and coach combined in the NBA, still going. Yes, the Warriors had a down year this four past peats. year. Four-peat you know, well. <laughs> And him for himself, <laughs> yes, he had a four-peat in terms of, yeah. yeah. And that was one thing, like, we'll get to, like, talking about could the Bulls have won seven, and we'll touch on that shortly. But it's like, like, Steve Kerr has basically – drafted out this resume now in the NBA that you would have never thought for, you know, someone from where he came from, you know, as a role player and now as a coach of one of the best teams. Yeah, they had a down year, but watch out next year. If they do get Giannis too, like who knows, right? I mean, it could be one of the most uh, stacked teams ever. So we'll see. Like the four-peat is uh, Patrick McCaw three-peat. And you know if the yeah. season gets canceled, <laughs> technically he's a four. <laughs> technically he's a four-time Ray champion. He's a good luck charm, man. What do you think about a Kerr? Luck like Kerr has like think about the coaches he's played for. Like you know he's got <laughs> Phil Jackson and yeah. Popovich as his That's two crazy. coaches. Yeah. So he's got a lot of proper coaching like experience that he can put to his teams too. So and to also be a sponge, right? To like yeah. be able to like come up with game plans and take up like offenses and. Yes, Mark Jackson had a good run with the Warriors, but it was Steve Kerr who came in with apparently a giant binder and said, this is how we're going to use Curry and Clay," And it's kind of just opened up that entire offense where, like, look, they just went nuts in terms of just an offensive juggernaut. What do you guys feel? Sorry, go ahead, Amir. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think um, in terms of the coaching, I think this whole documentary kind of opened my eyes on Phil Jackson a little bit more because I think I was, I used to just write him off as like, you know, this guy played with the best players of all time. Like how much coaching is he actually doing? But then you actually see him and how he interacts with his players. And yeah, I, I think it's just how he connects with them on a personal level and how he understand like he kind of has a pulse for the team. I think that's his, that's his talent on top of his, uh, top of his uh, X's and O's. Yeah. Speaking of uh, personal level, I mean, we see Michael Jordan presented as like a hard ass, you know, someone who just is difficult and just has like uh, such a, like a tough exterior to him. But then we see the, the compassionate side with the bond that he had with uh, the security guard, Gus. And how'd you guys feel like that was presented where like, essentially to me, Gus became that father figure for MJ with Michael losing his father and just how Gus essentially became kind of a driving force and, 
even a motivation for Michael to make sure that he won games for, for Gus, right? And uh, how'd you guys feel that was presented as well in terms of showing a softer side to Michael Jordan as well? Uh, in addition to showing a softer side, I think it shows that, you know, he, like him, like kind of making things up, right? To kind of drive him or whatever. He like kind of latched onto this old head, right? And all the security guards were all like older kind of, and he said it himself, right? They gave good sound advice. Um, they they kind of walked him through scenarios, all that stuff, right? So again, I feel like he latched onto someone he felt that was, um, you know, kind of not replacing his father, obviously, but kind of stepping into that role a bit. Um, and, and just someone, there was, there was a point where they were in the room and no one was talking, but like, it didn't feel awkward. And I think, Everybody wants someone like that, right? Like in, in, their, in their life, especially when, when you don't have a father. So that was one thing. And the second thing was like, yeah, his compassion, man. And, and like, you know, you would never imagine MJ letting somebody, knowing how closed off he is and was, um, not letting anyone into his circle, right? To allow a security guard to come that deep in, right? Shows like his, his compassion, empathy, all that stuff, especially when that same security guard got sick, right? How, 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 how rattled he was. And then when he came back, how moved he was, right? So I think, again, opens up a whole new door. We're seeing a dual side to him now, where it's like, if you're in that inner circle, like you get to see these kind of nuances of MJ that you, know, you wouldn't normally see um, as a fan or, or as a TV broadcaster, a player, a coach or, or whatever, right? So like, it, it's really, him picking and choosing who he wants to let inside this um, inner circle. I like the fact that not only was Gus like there from prior to his championship, I think he, Gus was with him when he broke his feet the yeah. first time, like when he was injured. So he's been there for a while. And I feel like Gus took him on more as a son because he was really young back then. And just, uh, I think they mentioned in the documentary that nobody gets through uh, to Jordan. They have to go through Gus. That's the rule. It doesn't matter who you are, you have to go through that. So you look at it from a protector's point of view, you kind of see him almost as a, a you, uh, Anwar mentioned that a father figure, but at the mm-hmm. same time, he is that, that, window, that window into Jordan as well, right? Where he's kind of the, you know, Jordan's in his room and you have to go through Gus every single time. So I like the fact that Gus has been there and Gus is just filtering all the, like, the garbage that's coming towards Jordan constantly. So, you know, uh, just uh, and then just coming back to how Jordan kind of reacted to the whole cancer situation, I I thought it was very touching. Just, you know, he's like Anwar said, he's a very hard guy. You know, he doesn't show that much emotions um, outside of the game as well. He doesn't kind of show any weaknesses. But I think the part where Gus's wife said he was at the hospital like Mm -hmm. all the time, you know, there he was at their house, you know. That speaks, that speaks on how he actually cares about a human being that's close to him. So, you know, it's, it's great that, to see that kind of soft spot um, from Jordan kind of breaks that whole armored exterior of his. So glad to see it. I think it kind of just shows that Jordan was human, you know, like he yeah. had those human yeah. emotions. And, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, but, you know, even, even me, like it's nice to have that older person around to, to give you that sound advice to, to, to be that wise and have that wisdom. And I think once Jordan lost his father, you know, Gus was there and kind of filled that role. I'm not saying he was his, his new father, but 
he did say that and were mentioned like he was he looked up to him in a sense for that sound advice and i think it was nice because you know the whole documentary was based on jordan kind of the killer on the court but it was nice to see those tidbits of him off the court um you know during his father's time and now this time with with gus and just showing like his his emotion and his attachment you know to to the elder statesman of the community that was kind of in his close-knit circle yeah i think it definitely showed that human element um it showed that, you know, Michael Jordan was not just this wired, intense robot that was just a killer on the court all the time. He had um, Gus that he allowed into his inner circle and trusted and, um, you know, allowed him to be very close to him. And it showed that that compassionate side to MJ as well, though, you know, you don't see too much of that. It was a little glimpse of that. But, you know, we see the proverbial, you know, close to the end of the documentary. And I thought this was just one of the things that just stood out for me. We talked in earlier episodes about uh, the lack of peace that we see in Michael Jordan. And I feel I can see now why, because there's that element of could the Bulls have won a seventh championship? You have two three-peats, you win six total championships, and there's just that, you know, that hanging cloud of we're going to break the band apart, Phil Jackson, you can go 82-0, and 0 and we're not going to retain you as coach. Scottie Pippen, you're not going to get paid here. You know, you guys are getting older now. Um, we're going to break up the band. We're going to break up the team. So what were your guys' thoughts on that in terms of just the end of the dynasty and the take and I guess even the presentation by Jerry Reinsdorf and his thoughts in terms of why essentially you had to break up the team and then – I just thought it was so telling, man. Michael Jordan looking at that iPad and just like seeing uh, Reinsdorf's comment and it's like, come on, man. You're telling me all these guys wouldn't have taken one-year deals to come play for one more run at it? And that next season was a shortened lockout season. 50 games. We might have seen. And the Knicks, the Knicks as an eighth seed, made it to the finals to get destroyed by the Spurs. We could have seen the Bulls against the Spurs in a 99 final. And Michael Jordan essentially having to retire at the top of the game again. So what do you guys think about that? I thought that was such a that, – that was just like a lasting impression in my mind of how it got left. I, I, think, I think, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf is a businessman. So I understand at the end after they won their sixth title, he can't, he can't come out and not give Phil Jackson, for example, that opportunity to continue to run for a seventh. With that said, though, with the pieces in place that they had – um, in terms of the agreements and what people had in their heads. And I'll, I'll touch on your side a little bit too. I, looked, I digged a little bit more into that to see. I feel like you, you could not, um, like, like to give such disrespect to, to Phil Jackson, you know what I mean? To go that whole season, um, to plant those seeds of breaking everything up and then, oh, they win. So oh, maybe Phil Jackson, you want to try again? I think this, it's uh, completely uncalled for. I, I, I completely blame Reinsdorf. I will not... Uh, you know, him trying to say, make up words now as to there was an opportunity here or there. No, I, I, I'm not the type that really accepts that. Um, and for me, this series really, I, I like, I focus on, of course, Jordan's the focus of it, but really for me, I'm still sticking with where it started, Pippen. If I'm saying where did the, the Bulls' success come from, I'm going to say, controversial, sure, 60% Jordan, and I'm going to say 40% Pippen, and I'm going to tell you why. The main reason being, um, what, what he did, I guess his own mistakes really opened things up. So if he didn't have those contracts, for example, that were so terrible, um, they weren't getting paid like they are today, right? You know, they had $3 million contracts or $2.5 mm-hmm. million or something like that. 
for them to have, you know, everyone that came on or to hold on to from uh, Grant or Rodman, um, Harper, Kukoc, uh, Kukoc, like you can't get these guys if Pippen is getting paid properly like he should have been. Um, the payroll for them went from $61 million down to $28 million afterwards, like after they broke things up. And of that, $30 million was MJ alone, and Pippen had $2.75 million. Like, come on. Travesty. It's if, if we're gonna, if we're gonna yeah, complete complete robbery. So if we're gonna if we're gonna give um, credit where it's due, I think it has to go to yes to to MJ and all the players, but Pippen for for really contributing way above was really paid for. Um, to me, that's what this series has really opened my eyes. Like, I feel like we should have a Pippen series next and just like cover him <laughs> for everything for that reason. He did. I, I'm I'm blown away. I think that Reinsdorf comment at the end there was just a kind of a show, kind of trying to, trying to deflect the blame away from him, essentially, that it wasn't his fault that that team broke up, essentially. Um, you know, everybody focused on Jerry, um, Jerry Krause at the beginning because, oh, he wanted to break up the Bulls. But come on, you're the owner. You have all the power. You could yeah. simply bypass the general manager exactly. easily to keep the keep it, and all you want to say at the end of it, oh yeah, I offered Phil Jackson the job, but he turned it down. That's all he wanted to say. But Phil Jackson had a point saying that why would I resign when I know you're going to rebuild the team and get rid of these all guys? And just coming back to the seven the seven championship, it, the, I feel like they would have won if they kept the roster, but they couldn't. All those guys were at the pinnacle of their kind of uh, careers. And they wanted to get paid. They've played with, you know, $2 million, $1 million contracts, $3 million. They wanted to get paid. And there was no way that one guy, although Jordan says otherwise, that they would take a one-year, like a million-dollar contract to come back and win a seven championship. Because the seven championship in their, uh, like, salaries doesn't mean anything. It doesn't give them a, an extra couple of million dollars. It adds to Jordan's legacy, but it, does, it doesn't do anything for those other guys. So, you know, yes, if the team could have stayed together financially without having any financial burdens or anything, sure, they would have won. I felt they would have won. But I don't think if given the opportunity, those guys would have signed a, a one-year deal. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe, right? Like, um, you have to also think about, like, communication here. What, like, Jordan hearing that for the first time now, it's like, come on, man. Like, really? Like, you could have had a team meeting after you won coming off a championship. I'm sure they have team meetings. Why could you not as a team discuss that, dude, like, like we won three in a row for the second time. Now let's do something else for the last time, right? Let's win four. Like, I think it boils down to communication. And Kraus, to be honest, like, I, I know he's been kind of portrayed as, you know, um, not the best person here. But in the end, he did his job, like, apart from like whatever he, he did, what a GM is supposed to do, right? When it comes to the owner, this is your team, right? This is your, your baby in a way. Don't tell me there's no way you could have made it work and been open about, um, you know, you know, I said this before, but like, you know, I feel that we can do something um, epic here and, and really go for a fourth. Like the fact that Jordan's hearing that now just shows you how dysfunctional the communication was, right? He was the best player. And yeah, the, yeah. and, and he didn't know that? Like, come on, man, right? So, like, it's it just the, the lack of communication, uh, I feel, was, was was a huge factor here. 
apart from the salaries and all that, John, you made great points, right? But like, I feel like if, if this was known back then, if not all, the majority of those players would have come back for one year. Yeah, I, I think um, like the, the saddest part for me is um, they didn't like it didn't end because you know they got old or they got beat by a better team. It just ended because the management was was so trash, right, and greedy. Um, you know, unfortunately, '98 was the last dance per se, but it didn't have to be, right? Um, and, and a thousand percent, you know, I, I believe like they they definitely would have won seven. I think. I know Andy, you know, mentioned the, the salaries, but I think it all comes down to like, what's more important to you, right? As a competitor is, you know, money, the important thing or winning, right? Like you're remembered to be as being a, a winner, you know? And um, I, I just think like, I feel like I was robbed, you know, like I, I feel like we could have seen a, another year of, of Jordan winning that seventh ring, right? I just feel robbed. I think going to JV's point to start this conversation, I mean, Jordan does say that he doesn't win six chips without Scottie Pippen. So Scottie Pippen gets his due from there. Uh, the second thing I gathered towards that end of this documentary is just, just being pissed. Like D was trying to, I guess, allude to was they didn't end on their terms. Yeah. Like it was from Kraus um, and, you know, in a last minute, you know, effort by Reinsdorf to possibly bring back Phil Jackson. But I felt like, I personally feel that if they did get one-year contracts to come back for the 99 season, I think, A, they would have done it um, to have the opportunity of a possible four-peat. But I think the biggest thing would be like, you know what, we're doing this on our terms. Like, you know, we're not being forced out. Um, and, you know, I don't think has it, four-peats, has anyone done that before? I'm not sure. But, you know, to be etched in history in that sense. So I think that was the biggest thing. Like, just seeing that last segment like as a fan like pissed me off yeah and finding out what happened the following year like with the knicks as an eight seed yeah. like come on man like although jordan well. and these guys were getting older like come on you're trying to tell me they wouldn't have gone to the to the to the last dance again if um, mj says they're gonna win bro like they're gonna win right like well there was that quote he learned. said right there was a quote he said they can't win until we quit mm-hmm. that's right. what he said after they won their six, and literally that's what happened. They got broken up, and then the Spurs won the year after. Well, like, um, you know, I, I liked what Phil Jackson had said. He's like, uh, when Reinsdorf told him that, he's like, well, you know, I would stay, but I don't think Jerry Krause would like that. Uh, so, you know, it's not fair to him. So he basically kind of, like, gave him, the, gave him the opportunity there. He was like, all right, it's me or Jerry Reinsdorf. Your choice. You can keep this together, or you can break it up. Mm. And and and, he, and and without saying that, he chose. He chose right there and then. He's like, I'm not gonna fire Reinsler, or um, I'm not gonna fire Kraus. So, and that was that. Like, and for Pippen's contract, like he could have easily just promised him some money after his contract was done. Like, wait, bro, we're gonna re-sign you again. Thanks for the six rings. Like, <laughs> yeah. I think at that point, it's sour. It, so, it soured too many relationships. Like, yeah. At that point, yeah. It soured Pippen, and I for sure. Phil Jackson was always at the like gunpoint the whole time as well, right? Yeah. But I'm, like, but I'm saying, though, like, if Phil Jackson and Jordan, like, the head of this two-headed snake came to you and you're like, let's do one more time on our terms, yeah. I'm sure they would have been like, okay, let's do this. Let's, remember, let's. Yeah, remember, I know the money Scotty was... sat out. Scotty took his surgery at the beginning of that season in, in kind of a rebellious way to yeah, kind of spike, give spike. the finger to the team, right? 
He didn't care if Jordan and Phil Jackson was there. So I think right there, Scotty already checked out and he wanted to just get his money now. But like, I know you're saying like, oh, they couldn't re-sign all the players. But they didn't need to re-sign all the players. Like, like let's let's remember that second three peat was a completely different team than that first three peat. All you gotta make sure is that is Phil Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Scotty Pippen are there. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all the Drum, other right? play, all the other pieces you can interchange, and, yeah. and and you'll 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 have a shot to win. Yeah, cheap contracts for everyone else. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure, man. I think they would have done it. But I want to say one last thing personally for me. Like this whole documentary really opened my eyes, and I'm I'm sure AK was Phil Jackson. Yeah. That guy was just an amazing coach. And especially towards the end, their final meeting, mm-hmm. where he brings like that can into the meeting and tells all his players, write something personal, where Jordan writes some sort of a poem, turns the lights off and, you know, lights the can on the paper in there. Like, I, I don't know, he just had this, I guess, the Zen, Zen master, master, the nickname. Like, just, just that, just to think like that. I, I don't know, it just, just made me really open my eyes and I'm like, you know, I was with AK too. Initially, I thought this guy's with Jordan Pippen, you know, Kobe Shaq, and then Kobe at the end with Gasol. This guy is just gifted with amazing players. But really and truly, man, you got you to gotta pay homage. He to is amazing. Jackson. He is amazing. Nah, he, 150%, man. This documentary really opened my eyes on Phil Jackson and, and what he did. I'm with you guys. I think uh, so many uh, like things that like, you know, we're, we're going to talk about like last and final thoughts on the last dance. Uh, but just to like tie off what you guys just said, I feel the Bulls could have gone for seven, could have gone for the four Pete. I do agree though. There was so much friction going into that last year where it wasn't kind of a peaceful segue to go into a four Pete. There was the element of Krauss telling uh, Phil Jackson that you can go 82 and 0. So there's already friction between the GM and the coach. Um, Krauss already recruiting uh, Tim Floyd to be the next you know, successor to Phil Jackson. You got Pippen's contract that hasn't been addressed for years. Yes, Pippen signed that long-term contract, but then you know he ended up getting his money with Houston, right? He ended up getting five years, 60 mil with Houston, and he finally got paid. So that was big for him, uh, but he didn't get a chance to get paid by the Bulls. And I actually came across uh, Jerry Krause's uh, memoir. Obviously, he's not here to speak to a lot of stuff that's being discussed in the documentary. So when you look at Kraus, yes, he's being portrayed as the ultimate villain. Like, yo, this guy was the thorn in the side of the dynasty. But just looking at the uh, a, a memoir that was released like from his family as well, um, Kraus reasoned that there was concerns over uh, Dennis Rodman. <laughs> and we'll talk about Rodman. <laughs> in terms of just, uh, you know, only Phil Jackson could rein in Dennis Rodman and understand him. And we saw that play out in terms of like allowing Dennis to go to Vegas and, you know, even accepting the fact that Rodman would go to wrestling and wrestle Hulk Hogan and then during the finals and then come back as well. Um, that was dope. That was that was He made a quarter mil, man, just off of that one day thing. Exactly. And then he also talked about Luke Longley's decline and Scottie Pippen's recent injury history. So we saw it play it on the finals as well, right? In terms of his back and deterioration. That's not to say we, I, I agree with you guys' points. If it's if it's presented in a way where you can we can come back and say, take one year contracts, take cheaper contracts. We negotiate something, you know, back end a deal for Pippen. What's to say that you can't bring everyone back? But I think the fact that Phil Jackson felt disrespected as well by Jerry Krause, like the GM doesn't even want me here, so yeah. why would I want to stay? I, I'm I, I'm a winning coach. I I should be respected as well. So Phil Jackson, if there's no Phil Jackson, there's no Michael Jordan. 
And if there's no Michael Jordan, there's no Scottie Pippen. So there's no, like it just, it's so fractured. So that's why the whole thing just kind of, um, you know, got broken apart. So that was, that was pretty maddening to see. I, I agree with you guys. That really, that's, that will piss anyone off just to see, like they didn't get to go out on their own terms. So for sure. And I would, you could give them the edge. You could give them. You can say that they'd be the favorites to win, but I wouldn't just say they would have won. Like that's kind of. I, I don't like doing that just because like you're disrespecting the Spurs at the same time. But New saying, York like, Knicks, New York Knicks went to the NBA finals. No, no, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have gone back to the finals. But I'm not. You, you're not saying like for sure they would have won. Like mm-hmm. I don't. I, I don't know, man. Like that Knicks. Uh, that Spurs team was nice as well. Well, it would have been Although a good matchup. Steve Kerr. <laughs> it would have been a good matchup, but that's yeah. a young Spurs team. Like they're yeah. not seasoned into well, their own dynasty, right? Like they're Robinson they're, seasoned. Yeah, yeah. I know, Robinson but in terms of going to the finals, but, but Robinson did lose quite a bit to Jordan. But feeling well, the so. finals, right? Like actually being in the finals. <laughs> and Kerr would have been on the Bulls, though. So take that away from the Spurs, right? Yeah, but then the Spurs, they'll just have another shooter there. It's all ifs, man. It's all ifs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and the Bulls would have been the favorite, let's be real. Like yeah, Spurs, I said that. They'd be right? the favorite. Yeah. But I don't I don't like just to say that just to write off the the, the Spurs like that. Michael Jordan against the young Tim Duncan, I'll take my chances with MJ. So okay, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you Spurs. We'll lose in six. Okay, I'll give you two games. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. Right. Are you that. happy there? You, the Spurs would have given them two, okay? <laughs> So then what happens? Does, does MJ come back for eight? No, I think <laughs> you know, like when well, that, bro? That's yeah, what Kobe. Exactly. That's what Kobe and Shaq take off, right? So it's like now you're getting to the tail end of the nah, '90s, I, 2000s, right? So one more year, and that would have been definitely the end of it, 110. Yeah. percent So just some like what? Just to go around the table, guys, what were just kind of like some final thoughts on Last Dance? Even maybe a sentence or a couple of words that just stood out for you guys in terms of the Last Dance. Two thoughts for me was um, I hope the younger generation, obviously we kind of lived through the kind of the end of Jordan uh, getting into the Kobe Bryant uh, kind of era. And then now you have like the LeBrons and Steph Curry, you know, James Harden uh, just for the, this, this youth of our, uh, of our uh, age right now, just looking at the body of work that it goes in to being great, the sacrifices you have to, you know, give up or things you have to give up just to work on your craft to be great. And then the mindset of Jordan willing the the win at all costs, right? You know, he does he didn't leave anybody uh kind of or befriend anybody that was a competitor. He just wanted to put them on a kill list and go after them regardless if he made something up or if it's true or not. Uh, the second thing was, you know, Jordan, it shows you why Jordan was great. I think it did a really good job of somebody who didn't know who Jordan was or just knew his brand and kind of looked at this and said, Oh, you know, uh, I don't want to throw the goat conversation out there, but it shows that this man was a force to be reckoned with. And he could have played in this era and still been like a number one player in the league easily. So I just felt, I feel like the youth, if they see this documentary or saw it, it's a great exposure for what the game was a few years ago. Yeah, man. Uh, uh, I think. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, for, for me, um, I think by far one of the the best uh, documentaries I've ever seen. Um, it was everything that I expected and more. Being a, a diehard uh, MJ fan, um, it, it held my interest for like five weeks. Right to think that, you know, we spent you know ten hours watching a documentary on Michael Jordan. It, a lot of people might think, oh, this is too much, right? But it held my interest. Uh, I learned things that I did not know. 
Um, and, you know, it just showcased, like, his, his compete level um, was unmatched, right? And, like, even today, I don't think there, there's really anyone like him, maybe with the exception of Kobe, right? Um, and, and the other point, like, like Andy mentioned, like, lastly, like, it's the the best part about the series for me is, um, like, the younger generation, right? Like, the era after, like, the generation after us, like, they would have missed out on this MJ you know, the greatness of MJ. Um, and I think, you know, for them watching it and seeing what MJ was about, um, there, there's no debate, right? For me anyways, like there's no debate who the goal is, right? Like it, it's MJ and it's not LeBron, right? So for me that- <laughs> You didn't have to drop that, names, man. <laughs> hey man, I'm dropping the names. Like, there's Say no, it like no, it is, no right? Debate, bro. <laughs> say it like it is, bro. Yeah, um, 100%, you have to say it like it is. Um, but uh, I, I think for me, the two things I, I took away was kind of uh, relating to what Daryl and Andy said. Um, I think he, he really gave the term GOAT its true definition, right? Um, I think in an era where people are self-proclaiming themselves as the GOAT uh, versus him just having a body of work, um, just being himself, right, throughout his whole career. And not saying that, you know, I'm, I, I'm the greatest. Yes, that was his drive. Internally, he wanted to be the best. Um, but he, he, he never said it like that. He just put it into action, right? Whether it was him sacrificing, whether it was him getting on his players, uh, whether it was him going through all the trials and tribulations um, and all the stuff that we, we saw throughout the documentary, good and bad, um, the fact that he shows us that you can make it through all this, right, and still um, come out on top. That right there is like the the definition to me of of, of what being a, a goat is, right? Like, yes, all the the six chips, all that, all the awards, all the accolades help, but just the mentality of like you know, always striving to be um, the best version of yourself, right? And who else said that? Kobe, right? Uh, so like, I think those two. I would agree with, with, with Andy and um, Daryl where to me, yes, Kobe would be the closest to, to MJ. Um, after that, I'm sure we can, I'm sure we'll have episodes <laughs> about that. But um, the second thing, which w- w- my takeaway was that apart from Jordan and um, he said this in his hall of fame speech, it wasn't just him, right? Like, you know, and again, this is a testament to him being the GOAT, right? It wasn't just him always. It was always like pe- people around him, his supporting cast. And I think the documentary did a really good job of highlighting those individuals as well, from Rodman, Pippen, Phil, um, to even some of the uh, second and third tier um, cast, right? So Steve Kerr, who was to me, was like probably first. Um, it did a great job of highlighting those guys as well, right? To really show that, yes, it, it, it took MJ to really propel the Bulls and the organization. Think about when he came in and he said it himself, I want to make the Bulls a respectable organization, right? But it was just not him. It was the supporting cast that he got them to buy into his system, right? Um, And and was able to propel the whole um, organization into this kind of dynasty um, discussion, right? Um, So yeah, man, those are the two big takeaways for me. And apart from that, just the overall, like, um, you know, the, the, the kind of footage, the film, the way it was produced, the photography, the music, all that stuff, right? From a, music, fr- yeah. from a creative perspective, like, I think it was pieced together really well. 
um, and, and, and I think they showed the right emotion at the right time and, and they held back emotion when they really kind of needed to. Uh, so yeah, I mean, overall, uh, it was, it was everything that I expected and, and to be honest more. Yeah, for me, I, it was, it was great. Like I just loved seeing from the beginning to end his career. I like how they switched from 98 and then they would rewind and show you the, and, and just keep switching like that. Um, I, I watched the, the come fly with me back in the day. I think it was, I think it was yours, Daryl. I think you lent it to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was definitely, it was definitely higher quality than that. And it just showcased the drive, like his overall drive. Like you never got to see Jordan cause he, there wasn't that much access back then. So like you never got to like really see what he thought or like really get into his, his thought process. You just saw what was on the cable station at that time right and so it, it was nice to see some of his emotions his reactions while he's looking at the ipad of other people talking were hilarious for me that was some of the best <laughs> some of the best parts where he's just he's just condescending towards man <laughs> Jerry uh, the globe <laughs> um uh as far okay so i'm gonna have to address the lebron thing because uh yeah okay so as of today Another episode, man. As of today, he is a goat, but LeBron's story is not finished yet. So you can't just you can't just we'll wait. That we'll wait. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, like well, when LeBron's story is done and everything's said and done, you can make a proper assessment. But he's he's not done. He's he's still playing. He is number one team in the West as of right now. So are you saying then technically I'm gonna sidetrack because he's still playing, he shouldn't even be in the goat conversation? Sure. Yeah, That's like he, point yeah, it's, he's not, he's not, uh, his story's not done yet. You can't, okay. you can't judge it. You can't judge it. So, so he shouldn't for, be in top is, five for, either. This is for future episodes. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So he shouldn't <laughs> be in top five either. He's, 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 he's still right, working next on episode. it. <laughs> well, we'll take that to <laughs> a next episode. And okay, we'll, okay, we'll, okay. Leave, we'll, we'll leave that. Well, we'll save that. That's a teaser. That's a teaser for later. But for me, for me as a fan, you know, I started getting into basketball in the 90s. So to kind of relive that history, um, to obviously see it in the forefront. But for me, what I took away from this documentary, obviously, A, yeah, it took me back, brought me back to my elementary school days when I started playing basketball, um, you know, trying to do those fadeaway jumpers and whatnot. Um, but just the behind the scenes, what you don't see as a fan, right? Like you would just see the NBA on NBC and just the game. You wouldn't see the behind the scenes footage, you know, what Pippen, what Rodman, what all these guys went through, the ups and downs, the highs and lows, you know, all, everything that came to be as a player, like, you know, outside of the, uh, uh, the court, on the court, how management is evolved. So just uh, the whole documentary as a whole, I think I just, just the, the background footage, I really appreciated just seeing that. I mean, everyone already has talked about, you know, the fact that the youth nowadays can see why, you know, us older folk think that Michael Jordan is, is the GOAT, if not up there. Why? This kind of proved that to a certain extent, just his killer mentality. Um, and like I said, the thing that I take away, though, is two what-ifs for me is if Jordan didn't retire in 93, could we have seen a Bulls-Rockets final with Jordan against the Dream? Um, and then fast-forwarding to 99, if they did take a one-year deal, Bulls against the Spurs. So, I mean, those are some what-ifs um, that I wish could have happened. Um, but unfortunately, at the end of the day, you take with what, what it is and you know, probably one of the greatest dynasties in, in all of sports, uh, the, Chicago, the Chicago Bulls. And for me, um, oh gosh, there's, there's so much I could, I could say. Um, in terms of the GOAT debate, I won't, I won't get into it too much. Uh, I'll agree. We'll see what happens with 
LeBron, but I do, of course, I give respect to, to MJ for what he did. Different eras, different teams looking um, in terms of uh, makeup of composition, so I can't, you know, it's hard to say. But one, one thing I'm going to say, and, uh, you know, feel free to, to bring this up in the future because it's kind of a, it's an odd one out there, but I'm going to say is this actually brings to mind for me a German word, Schadenfreude. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but this this oh, bro. Is up for, for, for for Jordan. Because think about think about his career. So he he said it himself where he was the better you get, the more attention you get, you're gonna have more people coming at you. You're gonna have the Sam Smiths, right? You're gonna write these articles about gambling or what you're doing here or there. You're gonna have um Reinsdorf that basically, even though he you know, he could make more money off of you or or Krause, for some reason or another, they don't seem to be on the same page. But with this, that word basically um, has to do with people that take uh, satisfaction in other people's failures or misfortune. What is, what to me, this is perfectly applicable for MJ because what does he do? So he, of course, he comes back for a little bit, but what has he done in his later part of his career? He didn't have the control. Reinsdorf had it, right? He made the shots. But now MJ is worth more than that billionaire. MJ now makes the shot. MJ has taken on a new challenge. He re reinvented himself again. Um, it just goes to show his, his mentality and his aggressive, uh, no limits, basically, thought process on, you know, if I don't have this now, just give me time, I will, I'll meet that challenge and I'll make it. And to me, this just shows not only his playing days, but his ownership days and all his financial decisions. Um, I, I have more respect for him as, a, as an individual on the court, but also off the court, what he's done has really impressed me. And ESPN Films has done a great job. I think, you know, just for me to close off on this, it was it was so good to see that 90s ball and just even, you know, that historic kind of element, like for us as the older heads of what we were, you know, used to watching NBA on NBC, like just the tune playing in my head and just even seeing just some of the great competition uh, that was there, you know, seeing those Knicks teams, seeing the Pistons teams. I mean, seeing Charles Barkley with the Suns, um, Gary Payton, John Camp, you know, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Reggie Miller, like just such great competition. Uh, but speaking to Michael Jordan specifically, just that tenacity, the drive, the element of being a competitor, uh, being just, just having such a killer instinct element. Key thing that stood out for me is his drive for greatness took him to places where normal people and their thinking and their thought process would never go to the point where he would create scenarios in his head that didn't even exist to say that either someone either made fun of him or poked fun at him or slighted him or disrespected him. That is something that even lit a fire within him that I don't know how many people would actually do that, like create imaginary dartboards and just go after people's heads in that sense. Uh, I thought overall the presentation to what was mentioned earlier, very enjoyable, great presentation, you know, great music, great layout. Um, I don't think it's pissed off too many people, uh, aside from like maybe Horace Grant and Scotty Pippen's not too happy with the presentation <laughs> as well. So you do have a bit of controversy surrounding it as well, but testament to Michael Jordan as well. He's center stage once more. Um, I think it just had under like 27 million people who watched the last, the last dance as well. So like crazy viewership, Netflix, ESPN, all on top as well in terms of that. So just it was it was really nice to watch and i think my only i guess negative is we're kind of robbed we're robbed of could mm. michael jordan have won 
and the Bulls have won a seventh championship. And to Nabil's point, could we did we miss out on some great finals matchups potentially if MJ didn't go to baseball and if MJ didn't retire again between Bulls Rockets and Bulls Spurs? So that was big for me as well. So that concludes it for us, guys. I mean, we've wrapped up uh, the last dance. Um, you know, 10 episodes, uh, very enjoyable watch as a whole. And now we are going to segue into uh, some additional topics that we'll start to like put together. So stay tuned for that, guys. Um, feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. There's a subscribe button too in the video. So don't forget to hit that as well. Uh, check out our podcast in terms of uh, our Instagram handle, which is beyond the court underscore podcast. And that's, that's all for us here. So take care, be safe, and stay blessed, guys. Have a good night.